Well, this morning, the title of my sermon was going to be, What is Truth? Based on the exchange that we're going to cover between Pilate and Jesus. And while the title of a sermon really isn't of that much importance, what it does is it serves to help me stay focused when I'm going through a particular passage. And we're just going to spend a good bit of time on Jesus and Pilate, for sure. Uh, but what seemed to be more relevant for many of us would be the questions that would hopefully are going to be on the screen here in a second, which is the struggle which many of us have deciding which factor in our daily, everyday encounters is going to dictate the decisions and choices we make. What I'm talking about is the distinction between the reality of your heavenly existence and your Americanness, or you're in Southwest Georgia, your Southernness. I'm not sure about you, but for me, being a you know a Yankee down here, what, this is no small matter. My awareness of the distinction between the, what it is to be a Southern man or in, and being in the South as a Yankee makes me constantly aware that I'm different. And that difference is something that is really in play when it comes to this distinction of our heavenly citizenship. Who's in charge is not, a, is not just a superficial matter. What's going on inside people matters as much, if not more. And we're going to get to that shortly, but before we do, we're going to set the stage for this encounter between Jesus and Pilate. Strictly lurking at the circumstances, it would be easy to find ourselves thinking that the chief priests or Pilate were the ones in charge. But as is so often the case, all is not as it appears to be when it comes to what God is doing. We will see, hopefully, that no matter what the chief priests were up to, what Pilate was up to, and no matter how irrelevant what God wanted may have been to both of those groups, God was never out of control. You see, Jesus was a problem. <laughs> he still is. But he was a problem for the priests, and he was about to become a problem for Pilate. As we discovered last week, there were two trials. And they went exactly according to script. There was one commentary that I read that said that Ananias and Caiaphas violated eight, at least eight of the Sanhedrin's own rules for a trial just to get rid of Jesus. They needed to expedite their plans to get rid of him, and that was the scene leading up to today's text. Now, it was time to get Pilate on board. And as we'll see in a few moments, the Jewish leaders needed Pilate to get rid of Jesus. And what we'll also see is that Jesus and his father had a very different plan in mind. Let's pray. Father, I pray... Lord, for this, this is such an awesome exchange in how, I don't know, how it spoke to me and how timely 
it, it, even though these events occurred 2,000 years ago, how relevant they can be to some of the struggles that we face each day as your children. And I pray, Lord, that you would use me, that I would say the right words so that they would be helpful and, and meaningful in your working in and through us for the people in Bainbridge and those in the lives we touch. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 18, verse 28. Then they took Jesus from Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They did not enter the headquarters themselves, otherwise they would be defiled and unable to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and said, What charge do you bring against this man? There's really not much to add to this. The Jews had arrived with Jesus at Pilate's doorstep, and they didn't want to get defiled. And apparently this is not the first time that they had shown up like this. Because Pilate comes out, doesn't even bother with pleasantries, and just says, what's the charge? Verse 30. We wouldn't have handed him over to you if he weren't a criminal, they retorted. Then take him away and judge him by your own laws, Pilate told them. And the Jewish leaders replied, only the Romans are permitted to execute someone. And this fulfilled Jesus' prediction about the way he would die. Then Pilate went back into his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. You know, I captioned this on the screen, the, this exchange is the setup. By all historic accounts, Pilate was a shrewd governor. From the very onset, he could smell a setup. Many of us have found ourselves in similar conditions. You know, it's just one of those circumstances where you see it coming, you, you, and you, you, you see it, and yet you're still not able, that you get outmaneuvered and you wind up in a pickle. Well, that's Pilate, because he could see it. The chief priests set him up brilliantly, and what we're going to see is that they managed to stay one step ahead of him through this entire exchange. Pilate returned to his headquarters, summoned Jesus, and this is where our exchange between Pilate and Jesus really gets going. Verse 33. Are you the king of the Jews? He asked him. Jesus replied, Is this your own question or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate retorted. Your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Okay. We're so far removed from the first century, it's difficult to realize all that's going on here. But first, I want you to stop thinking of Pilate as the governor. I want you to put in your mind that Pilate, think of him as a warden. Roman occupations were more like some of our modern prisons. The kinds where you have lots of freedoms to move around and do this and that, but you're not really free. Sure, you can move around, but let's be honest. You can only do what the warden and the guards will allow you to do. That's our scene here. Kind of changes the dynamic just a little bit if you look at him as a warden. 
My point being is warden of Jerusalem and the surrounding area, Pilate could care less about inmates, just like a warden. Jews, Jesus, any of it. He's the warden of a remote Roman colony far from Rome, and he's more likely interested in getting a promotion and getting out of there. Like any of us who might be working far from home, I mean, I spent a lot of time working far from home, and you know what I wanted to be? Home. That's what you want, right? He, Pilate this is, had, he, the last thing he needed was these priests and his inmates jeopardizing his chances of getting out of there and getting a, 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 a position closer to home. He certainly isn't the least bit concerned about the inmates and what bothers them. So his first question for Jesus could have been prefaced with something like this. So what's your deal? Are you some kind of king? Is that why these priests want you dead? Now bear in mind, Pilate is still trying to work out exactly what these priests were up to. And put yourself in the scene. You're Pilate. Okay? You know that the inmates want this guy dead. And this guy comes and says, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. My kingdom is not even of this world. What would you think? I know what I would think. Great. I'm being set up, and this guy's a lunatic. I mean, really, my kingdom is not of this world. If somebody walked up that and said that to you today, you wouldn't think one bit different than Pilate did. It's ridiculous. Okay, now what? Right? Well, let's roll back a little bit, get back into that whole first century vibe. The kings and kingdoms really aren't a thing anymore. I mean, despite what's going over with Charles and his family and so forth, they're, really, they're just really not a thing. But in the first century... They were, they, were, they were seriously huge. Because last year, when we went through the book of Philippians last summer, we discussed the importance of jurisdictions and how they define the context for any legal proceedings. Remember, this is supposed to be a trial, right? And we think of jurisdictions as cities, states, counties, on and on, right? But as incredibly important as jurisdictions are, in that time, they were all about kingdoms. But they're not just restricted to legal matters. Jurisdictions have a far greater reach. And as we'll see, the importance isn't limited to just legal matters. Hold on to that thought, because we're going to be coming back to it shortly. Verse 37. You are a king then, Pilate asked. You say that I'm a king, Jesus replied. And while it might seem like Pilate is running this interrogation right here, uh, instead of just answering Pilate, and remember, he's been pretty much silent going along and just specifically answering particular questions, he actually takes the lead here. And you can almost hear Jesus saying the word listen before the words that we're going to read. He said, I was born for this. Mind you, this is just coming after my kingdom is not of this world, right? 
I was born for this, and I have come into the world for this reason, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Here it comes. What is truth? Said Pilate. When I was young, it's not like I'm completely over it, but I was so naive. I didn't, I, it never dawned on me that there could be differing ethics, that there could be differing worldviews, and I certainly didn't understand or think that there could be more than one definition for right and wrong. More than one definition for good and evil. Like many of you, I thought, only God can define truth, right or wrong, good or evil. That was before I was introduced to relativism. Pilate may actually be the first recorded relativist. Whenever I read this passage, and I read it a lot, it comes up every quarter, I can't help but think about relativism and its impact on each of our lives, on its impact on the church and the world around us. Now, if you're not familiar with the term relativism, if someone walks up to you and says something like, well, that's your truth, and it might be followed up with something like, I respect your right to your opinion, but I don't agree with you. You have just met a relativist. It's subtle, but did you catch it? Truth was what? An opinion. See how they've already marginalized you? When we think, you know, we, we tend to think that relativism and all this stuff that's going on around us is some new phenomenon, but I'm trying to tell you it's not. Look with me again. Pilate was a relativist, plain and simple. Look again at verse 35 with me. Pilate makes the statement, am I a Jew? He was clarifying something, wasn't he? He was clarifying that he was a Roman. Not simply that Roman was the legal jurisdiction. His Roman worldview and philosophy guided all of his thinking. As I said it earlier, he didn't care a lick what the Jews thought about anything. They were inmates. He didn't care what they thought, and he certainly didn't care what Jesus had to say in verse 37, that he, Jesus, had come to testify to the truth. So many of us, myself and included, get ourselves all twisted up when a business, a church, or a government agency doesn't do what we think is, here it comes, right. But don't miss this. Right defined by who? Truth defined by what? As occupiers, Pilate and the Romans decided what was legal, what was right, what was wrong. And while the Romans had their deities, by the time the first century had rolled around, pretty much there's a pretty good chance that most of the Romans, certainly someone of Pilate's stature, had already decided that the Roman deities were mythical. 
you know, much of the world felt that way already because I, you know, this morning's reading was in 1 Corinthians. And in chapter 8, Paul called the so-called gods nothing. Right? So I'm you know, it stands to reason that Pilate was going to feel pretty much the same way. My point is that Roman ethics and virtues weren't at all defined by the God that we serve or Scripture. They were defined at the time by a guy named Caesar, and the Romans said it. In other words, by who was in power. Sound at all familiar? The Roman ethic in the first century was in many ways just like today. It was very utilitarian, and it was determined primarily by who was in power. The Romans were quite similar to the unbelieving world of today in that their ethics and notions of right and wrong, good and evil, are utilitarian and relative. They are not defined by God or his immutable, absolute truth. So what's changed in 2,000 years? In my opinion, not a whole lot. As Christians, Christ followers, our ruling jurisdiction isn't just heaven when it comes to legal matters. We are philosophically, ethically, and morally citizens of heaven right now. If you believe in Jesus Christ, that is your citizenship right now. You may be living here in Bainbridge, Georgia, but you're a citizen of heaven. We believe God's word is truth, that Jesus Christ is truth, and there's nothing utilitarian about it. There's nothing relative about it. No one got a vote. I missed it. No one got a vote. What God has declared right and wrong, good or evil, is truth. And here's the thing, it doesn't really matter if any of us like it or if we agree with it because nobody gets a vote. God decides what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's evil, and his word is truth. You know, roughly a thousand years ago, there was a Jewish rabbi, of all things, it was a Jewish rabbi. His name was Maimonides. And he put it so brilliantly, I had to put it up, and it's in the app if you, for you. Truth does not become more true by virtue of the fact that the entire world agrees with it, nor less so even if the whole world disagrees with it. Pilate believed the truth was relative, that he was in charge, and that Rome was calling the shots. Jesus knew otherwise. His father was the one ultimately in charge. And to be very, very clear about this, because there's a notion that goes around that if you really believe something, that that makes a difference. I'm here to tell you, it don't matter how hard or how strongly you believe something. If you're wrong, it, it's still not going to make it true. Just believe in real hard. So that said, Pilate was right about one thing. He'd been played. And as we'll see in the next couple of verses, he, still, he was still trying to get out of it. He had one more card up his sleeve. Verse 39. Then he, Pilate, went out again to the people and told them, he is not guilty of any crime. In his mind, what? Any Roman crime. Verse 39. But you have a custom 
of asking me to release one prisoner to you each Passover. Would you like me to release the king of the Jews? Once again, priests were ahead of them. They had already queued up the crowd, spun them up, and what was the response? But they shouted back, No, not this man. We want Barabbas. Barabbas was a revolutionary. Now, the name of this revolutionary is beautifully ironic. Because if you're familiar with all with, with Jewish naming, Bar means son of, and Abbas means father. It may be a little thing, but I love when God does stuff like this. He made it so that the religious establishment were forced to pick somebody named son of the father over his actual son. It's just like God to do stuff like that. It's just so, it's awesome. Okay, the so priest had successfully outmaneuvered Pilate. Is, is, you know, is, from a worldly standpoint, that's absolutely so. And as far as they were concerned, this nuisance from Nazareth was no longer about to be a threat to their carefully choreographed power play within the Roman occupation. He was finally going to be disposed of by the Romans. Everything was coming together according to plan. Here's my question. Whose plan? Who was really in charge? As is often the case, some of my favorite Proverbs, I see Michael here, we sit, sit, no, he and I for a while, we were just reading through Proverbs every month and, and meeting, talking about it and one of, one of them that I have memorized for a really long time has to do with plans. No matter how carefully men and, and or women calculate and prepare a plan, Proverbs 16, 9 always prevails. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. From the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3, 6, 15 made it clear that the day would come when God himself would make a way for fallen mankind to reconnect with him. That way went straight through the cross of Calvary and there wasn't a thing those chief priests could do, Pilate could do, anyone could do that was going to stop that. So what are our takeaways? Things aren't always as they appear. Chief priests, Pilate, these guys were unquestionably in charge of their respective jurisdictions. But were they really in charge? Do culture, tradition, tradition, academics, or media agendas have you drawing conclusions about who's in charge? You know, many incredibly smart people throughout the ages have believed that God only works in and through the church or, and or governments. And while he can and he does use those, they, he certainly doesn't exclusively work through them. I prefer Job and Jesus' approach. In Job 13, 15, there's the line that's indelibly inked in my head, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. That's exactly the way Jesus saw all of this. Job understood, just like Jesus did, that sometimes God's plans defy reasoning. The chief priests and Pilate worked the system. Beautifully, you got to admit. And yet Jesus trusted God's word and God's plan, 
regardless of what the religious leaders were doing, regardless of what the government had worked out, even though at the time it was going to cost him his life. Reminds me of Joshua in our hands. This is another verse that I can't ever get out of my head. Joshua had kind of had it with his people. And not the unbelievers, mind you. This is family, you know. These are, these are the church family. And in, he gets to the end of the book, and he's in chapter 24, and he says, Choose you this day whom you will serve. It goes on to say whether it's the, far, you know, the God of your forefathers across the river and such and so. But then he says it, and here it is, and here's what it, I hope it is in every single one of your houses. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's no denying it. We will live in very unsettling times. And to be honest, it feels quite often just like I'm sure first century Jerusalem felt like it's somewhat of an occupation, you know, where what's going on, you know, in, in, in government circles and, and, and so forth, like somehow or another that the, that the Romans are in charge. I have to admit, for me personally, it's increasingly more difficult to be enthusiastically American when the leaders of our country, by virtue of one vote majority, insist that we renounce every ethic, every morality, everything that's expected by God in his word. That's hard. If it ain't hard for you, you God bless you, because I mean, I, I struggle with this. Like many of you, my ethic and morality are not defined by consensus or any, you know, vote-driven, utilitarian ethic. What my morals are aren't relative. Frankly, it doesn't matter what I think about it. They're defined by my Heavenly Father in His Word. And his word is truth and is reliable and it is absolute. But how can we know God's truth? You know, I'm up here, so this was bound to be coming at some point, right? How are you going to know? I was at Brian, Brian's shop this week and, you know, we were, we were commiserating. I, I told him I was wrestling with this, I, you know. Sherry, Sherry and I have been driving back and forth to Florida a lot, and we listened to books on tape, and we pulled out something from the 80s, believe it or not. It was a Frank Peretti book, This Present Darkness, and it's just, it's this fictional, um, it had a great imagination for, show, for trying to juxtaposing the demonic and the heavenly angels hovering in our lives and how that impacts us. And I have to admit, this week, I, you know, I was wrestling an awful lot with delivering this particular thing, and... Brian just matter-of-factly said what a lot of you in this room know is that the only way you can know is by his word and be in it every day. Because the more you know, we're back to Maya Angelou, when you know better, you do better, right? And if you're just going to keep drinking from Fox News and who cares what, that's what you're going to be thinking on. But I can tell you, I haven't watched the news reports since 2016, and I know I'm, I, you know, I don't think I'm a moron, but I have felt, I've kept track of everything. I've managed to do it without watching and listening to that. Because what I knew about me was is that it kind of spun me up. It got me, it got me not being, not, certainly not in a mindset of lo loving my neighbor. 
What it got me doing was just fretting about this Roman occupation that we live in right now. Because that's what it's like. But if you're like me and you believe God's word is truth, then my encouragement is to you, stay in his word, be in K-group. You need the encouragement of your fellow believers to help you with this onslaught that's around our, the ethical assault that is say, it's trying to redefine everything that God has ever said about everything. It's not, just, it's not just a morality. Of course it's morality, but it goes well beyond that. And there's only one way you can continue to stand firm and have any shot of being Christ-like in loving a neighbor. You gotta, be, you gotta stick around with your fellow believers. You need that encouragement. You need some place to go where you've been beat up during the day and you go, man, I feel a lot of days like Nate Bergatz, you know, you know, that, you know, you just, it's tough. It is tough, but it's doable. So if you really, really believe Jesus is who he says he is and you really believe that he came for those that are seeking the truth, then live it. Quit playing games. Live it. It's very likely in the, the way that things are trending in America that it may cost you something. I don't know, promotion, a friend, who knows? Who knows? Cost Jesus' life. You may be asked to sacrifice something. Always remember what Jesus knew and counted on. His Father is always in charge. Let's pray. Father, what a great, what a great portion. So thank you so much for having John record in his gospel this exchange between Pilate and Jesus in a way to illustrate for us that you are always in charge no matter what people are scheming and that your love for us is, that, is the same as your love for your son in that it doesn't matter at all what's going on around us. What matters is you, your glory, and we're thankful for that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.